John. And if you got your notes out there, that first verse on there, instead of saying First Peter like it does there, it should say Second Peter. So put a little line next to it so you have the right reference there. Second Peter <clears throat> chapter number 1. We have been, for a long, over a year now, we've been going through Bible doctrines. I went through a lot of major things. And at the beginning of last year, we talked about the doctrine of the Bible. I did not go into great detail of things. Last week, so for probably two or three months, we spent time on big words on salvation tonight. And over the next several weeks, we're looking at things about the Bible. Last week, we looked at Revelation. And there are two types of revelation we talked about last week. Number one was general revelation, which could be creation, could be our conscience, and with general revelation, it lets us know there is a God. That's why the scripture tells us that the fool has said in his heart there is no God because the world cries out that someone created it. And general revelation shows us that it reveals something that was hidden. Now then the Bible tells us and not only do we have general revelation, but then there's special revelation. Where you've got to understand something. General revelation is a good thing. And it lets us know there is a God. But the world, looking at the world being created, doesn't tell us who God is. It lets us know there is a God. But special revelation, the Word of God, lets us know, oh, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Israel. He, and who He is. It gives us a lot about Him. Where we didn't know that before. In all reality, I had someone last week, they sent me a text and they asked me what my thought was on the gap theory. And uh, I, so I gave some thoughts on that. You say, well, Pastor, what is that? We're not talking about the gap theory tonight. If you want to know what I think about that, you can ask me some other time, not right now. And if you say gap theory, and you're like, what is that? Just don't worry about it, okay? The best thing always to do is go with what the Bible says. And if the Bible doesn't say something, don't worry about it. And, uh, but when it comes to creation, how do we know that God created what he Who penned the words of Genesis? Moses penned the words. Was Moses there in the beginning with God? No. So if God didn't tell us what took place, we never would know what truly happened, right? And that's where I would much rather trust God than some scientist. Do you see what scientists are doing today with things? They're not exactly very right on everything that they do. I loved how someone said the other day, and this has nothing to do with my message either, but they're like, it's pretty sad that the, that the person on the news that tells the most truth is the weathermen nowadays. And they're wrong most of the time. So that just, I thought, yeah, that's pretty right there. But when it comes to God's word, God has given it to us, and God's revealed things about himself, that's what revelation is. Inspiration is completely different from revelation. Revelation makes truths known, whereas inspiration is where the writings come from. Now, I could spend days on this topic, and I could spend days about those that don't believe right about inspiration. And you might sit in here tonight, or you could be watching me online, and you might differ what you think inspiration is compared to what I do. And if that's the case, you do as the Lord leads you to do. 
But when it comes to inspiration, and this is the thing, even in Baptist circles, and it's in our world today, and even in our churches today, there are less and less that even know the Baptist circle that I'm talking about and things like that. But we get caught up in a lot of different things when it comes to inspiration. And one of the big problems, that, and I'm just going to cover it a little bit, then I'm going to get into what inspiration is tonight. One of the big problems Baptist churches had several years ago is the fact that they listened to a man by the name of Peter Ruckman. You might like him, you might not like him, and I'm not here to get into debate about Peter Ruckman here tonight. But basically the gist of it, when it's all said and done, Peter Ruckman elevated those KJB translators to the level of inspiration as Peter and John. I want to help you tonight. The scriptures were given by inspiration of God. We understand that. And we're going to talk about how that worked tonight. No translators of any version are inspired by God the same way they were when they first came. Now, this is where people get caught up, and I'm just going to give you a little help here. This might make you need more help, but this might give you enough to help you moving forward. I've heard many a preacher say, that um, watch out when people say that the originals were inspired. They were. They were. Now let me help you tonight. Do we have an original? No. But this is what I want you to understand. We haven't gotten there yet, but we're going to talk about preservation later. Technically, I should talk about preservation before I talk about inspiration, technically. But what, what I want you to understand is you do not have an original in your hand tonight. The translators, and this is, and if you, if we want to get real technical tonight, of all the man, there are tons of manuscripts out there, and we there are line of manuscripts that I believe are more accurate than others. But at the end of the day, this is what I want you to understand tonight. You say, well, which manuscript is exactly the right one? Well, if you want to go down the receive the Texas Receptus line, you could really, there are like seven or eight additions to it. We could go down this whole long thing and try and figure a lot of things out. What I want you to understand, at the end of the day, what I, and this is what I believe, and you might differ, and that's totally fine. And there are, with all the manuscripts out there, and if you haven't, there's a lot of research you can do. And I've done a lot of research on both sides of it to figure things out. You say, well, why both sides? If you want more information, we can talk about that some other time. But this is what it comes down to. I do believe in a more accurate line. But I also, there are, because we mentioned, remember, what was it, in Acts a couple weeks ago? We were in Acts chapter number 8. And versions of the Bible that use different texts leave out 8 verse 37. It will go from verse 36 to verse 38. And in the footnotes it says, most manuscripts don't have that there. Now, that's what they say. And so you have different lines of manuscripts. And I could take a while to take you down those lines and explain a lot of things to you. But even at this, let's say that the manuscripts differ in different things, and a lot of them do. One thing that is true, and it doesn't matter what manuscript you use, all the stories are intact. 
You realize that tonight? Not one story's taken out. Now, there might be some that they find in weird places that take some verses out, but the story itself, the fact that Jesus died and rose again, they all talk about it. It is found in each one of them. Now, is it worded the same? No. Do we need to be careful about that stuff? Yes, and we might get deeper into that at some point. But what I want you to understand tonight is because God has promised to preserve his word, you can be confident tonight that God's inspiration is still found in his word because of preservation. No, the King James translators were not inspired. They were men, just like you and me. And I love how some people like to elevate them. And they knew all these languages. They're men. Just like you and me. And I've looked at some of their backgrounds. They, they were pretty smart. I will give them that. A lot, the languages, to know them at such a young age, I get all of that. But I want you to understand something. They were not inspired by God when they translated it. God... And as we look tonight, I want you to see what is biblical inspiration. That's what I'm going to try to explain to you tonight. If I get much further than that, we'll see, but my goal is to help you. Number one, I want you to see biblical statements concerning inspiration. There are two key passages we're going to look at tonight, and then I will break it down there as far as we can get with things. The first one is 2 Peter chapter number 1. In verse 21, and it's 2 Peter, it's not 1 Peter. Now, did my notes that I gave out say 2 Peter or 1 Peter? I don't know. But they were, no, what I'm saying is the ones I gave out to the secretary to take care of did say, just said 2 Peter. But did I mess up on it? It could have happened. And so, there, Joe, look at that. He fixed it there for us. But look at this verse, and Oh, that's, so on your notes there, it actually is 1 Peter one twenty one, And so look at that verse real quick. There's got to be a reason why it's on here, right? Who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and your hope might be in God. And that's an excellent verse, but 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, that's what the Bible says. Look at what it says here. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but men of God spake, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, before I even break down that verse, go back with me to verse number eight, verse 17 of 2 Peter 1. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Peter is referring to the Mount of Transfiguration right here. Look at verse 18. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. So Peter's saying, I was there. I heard God say this about his son, right? He didn't add there that he said, let's build a tabernacle for all three of you. And then the Lord said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter didn't add that. And I kind of know why he didn't add that there. I get that. But look at the next verse. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. 
Now think about this. Peter's saying, I saw it and I heard it. But you have a more sure word of prophecy in this book. That's what he's saying. More sure than my eyewitness and my account. I saw it. But you have a more sure word in the word of God. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Man did not, this was not man's will to get this thing out. It wasn't published for men. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now look real close with me. If we look at what biblical inspiration is, we see, number one underneath here, we see the fact that there's human penmanship. Holy men of God spake, is what the Bible tells us here. And then we see that there's, number two, we see there's divine authorship. As they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It is clear as day in this verse that God, the Holy Spirit, was the active source behind the Scriptures. Man was not the driving force to get us the scriptures. The Holy Spirit, it says, move by the Holy Ghost. God, and as we look at this and we think about it, that it actually means to be, the word move means to be carried along. Now, I've given this example many a times. And some of you in this room have already seen it before, and some of you have not. I got a pen right here. See my pen and my paper? All right, let's use a different paper because there's less writing on it. All right, I got my paper here. Now, I'm going to write on here. Did I just write that? Yeah, you've heard my illustration before. Because you were one of those before. Yeah, you wrote that. The pen wrote it. The pen was the instrument I used to write my words to you. Man was the instrument God used to give us his book. You see, I hear people often say, oh, the Bible, it's just man's book written by man. If it's a book written by men, there are 40 different authors over a span time of 1,600 years. They're in a various backgrounds, occupations. You cannot tell me that 40 different people could write one book that agrees completely like the Word of God does. It doesn't work that way. You say, why? Because it is God's book. They are God's words penned by man. As we look here, we see the fact that there's human penmanship and that God authored it. I also want you to look now with me at 2 Timothy Chapter number 3, another verse about that phrase, the inspiration of God. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, 
literally inspiration of God, that phrase literally means God breathed. All the scriptures were given to us by inspiration of God. This book that I hold in my hand tonight is God's book. God's words to us. God could have used an angel to pin them in the sky. He didn't. God gave it to man. And man pinned those words that belong to God. If we are to define inspiration, this is how I would biblically define it. And that's number two there. The Holy Spirit moved the human writers of the Bible in such a way that they recorded the very words and sense of God and yet used their own literary style. You can tell at different points that different people pen different passages. Am I wrong on that statement? Matthew's not written like Mark is. Luke is not written like Matthew or Mark are written. And John's written different than they are. There are different aspects of it. And only God could do this when we stop to think about it. And so as we look at this, and you might look at this term, inspiration, the very words of God and the sense of God, yet use their own literary style, and just look, it's amazing. You look, the book of John and the book of Revelation seems like they were very similar in who wrote them, because the same guy under inspiration did. First, second, third John, they all kind of seem like they belong together too. The book of Luke and Acts are written the same because the same guy under inspiration penned the words. It wasn't God sat them down and said, you're going to pin this, write this like this. There are certain times that God told Isaiah, get this, or he had a guy write it for him. Write down, thus saith the Lord. And he told him exactly what to say. But when we look at inspiration here, God let them use their own style and yet give the very words of God. And that's where sometimes we look at inspiration things and we can't fully understand it because you're not going to fully understand how God could do what he did with his word. And sometimes we try to, that's what we try to do with God sometimes. We put him in our little box. And we want him to fit in our little box and be exactly what we think he should be. God's never going to fit in your stupid little box. Never. He's too big for that. Don't try to put him and make him what you want him to be and make everything make sense. You're never going to make sense of everything with God. That's what faith is about, right? Some people just want all of it. You can't have all of it. But as we look at this, we break down inspiration I want to go a little deeper and give you more thoughts on inspiration tonight. I'm going to give you some, defini some definitions, some terms to be acquainted with. And so the first term when it comes to inspiration is confluent inspiration. Now that sounds like a big word, doesn't it? Confluent is not really that big. And I will tell you the honest truth. I use this is when it comes to studying doctrine of things, you're going to get bigger words. I don't go around, I don't think I've, I think the only time I've ever used confluent is when I'm talking about the doctrine of the Bible and inspiration. But confluent, what I'm talking about is uh, there are two agents. There are human agents and the divine agent, and that's how it works. 
The Bible said, and when we think about these things and we understand this, we, you think about, can you think of another time that there was um, something confluent with God that worked out? We think about it with inspiration, but there, can you think of anything else? Jesus being born, you had the Holy Spirit, and you had Mary. You had to have the vessel, and you had the Holy Spirit. With the Word of God, you have the Holy Spirit of God, and you have humans pinning the words. When we think about confluent inspiration, there are many scriptures that affirm that God spoke authoritatively through the words of men. There's some examples there. Look at um, Acts 4, verse 25. Who, by the mouth of, of thy servant David, has said... Now, who's the who? God, right? Isn't that right? Who, by the mouth... Who is that who? It's God. By God. God, by the mouth of thy servant David, has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Am I wrong on who that who is? No, it's God. God by the mouth of the servant David. The Bible tells us in Acts 13, 33, Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Well, who's the he? I think the he would be referring to God again. Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. God spoke through others. We think about, now this is a good one here. Isaiah 8, 1, I mentioned this a little bit ago. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll and write in it with a man's pen concerning... Malahalar Shalahazbad. That's pretty good, wasn't that right there? I think I got all. That's how would you like your mother to name you that? That would be a great one. You say, "I'm going to name my child a biblical name." Malahalar Shalahazbad. Quite a name. Be grateful your name's William. William could have been that. I thought about it for two seconds, but your mother, your mother wouldn't let me do it. We see the fact that God used men to pen his words, and God spoke through human instruments. The second phrase I want you to see tonight, and when we talk about this, is letter B. I want, you to, I want to talk about verbal inspiration. The very words of Scripture are God's words. They're his words. I firmly believe tonight that when I read this book that I hold in my hand, that I'm reading the very words of God. I don't doubt it. There are some people that doubt it. I believe in verbal inspiration. I believe this is God's word. You know, the Bible tells us the fact that his word was forever settled in heaven, right? God's word always has been and always will be. You have God's word tonight. And as we think about this thing about verbal inspiration, look at what the Bible tells us in 1, Timothy, or 1 Corinthians 2, verse number 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Remember how last week I brought up the fact and I asked a couple of you in the room that, had, that got saved later on. Why could you not understand the word of God before you got saved? 
if it was a book written by men for men, you would be able to get it. The reason why unsaved people, the carnal man, cannot understand the spiritual things is because we are spiritually dead. And being spiritually dead, the book's not going to make sense. That's why I know we look at it sometimes, and like I've heard many a preacher go after our governor and him putting Bible verses in other states. I'm just going to give you my thought real quick. I do not believe he's a saved man. I could be wrong. I'm not supposed to be, I'm not a fruit inspector. But his actions and what he does speaks loudly of, of an unsaved man. Why would you expect an unsaved man to know what the Bible truly says and expect him to get it right? He won't because the problem is that there are Christians who believe the same exact same thing. And that's where there's something, and it's wrong either way. But that's why an unsaved person can't understand this book because it's a spiritual book. It's God's word. And until the light bulb comes on, the spirits inside, you will not get it. And so as we, we see that verse there, the Bible talks about the fact in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. What a truth right there. The Bible says in Jeremiah 1, verse number 9, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. I don't think it gets any more clear than that, does it? I love the fact, when we talk about the fact that the very words of Scripture are God's words, that's why the Bible makes it clear that um, Matthew 5.18. Do you know the thoughts of men and men's words, they pass away? They do. But God's word never will, because it's God's word. And we believe it's verbally inspired. So what, this is what Jesus said. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. A jot, crossing, jot and tittle, a crossing of the T, dotting of the period, not even that will pass away. You got my notes tonight. My notes are not inspired. Say, why are they not inspired? Because the first verse was wrong. I did that on purpose to make a point. And I just, I'm teasing. I did not. I don't know. I'll have to go back and look at my notes, what it said. But that's an easy one. But my notes are not going to be perfect. God's word is perfect. Because it's God's words. Now, God's word might give me an inspiring thought, but that's different than inspired by God as the words are. As we look and we talk about the whole, as we talk about inspiration, we see this about verbal inspiration. And then next, I want you to see plenary inspiration, which means it extends to all parts. I remember a while back I was witnessing to someone, and literally. I asked them if they believed the Bible is the Word of God. Like, oh, I believe it is, except for that Song of Solomon stuff. I just don't think that's... That was his answer to me. And uh, what we believe 
in the inspiration of God is that it extends to all part of the scriptures. It's all. Now, may I just help you a little bit tonight? I know some Christians that get so carried away, they think the numbers and verses, verse numbers are inspired. They weren't there before. I hate to burst your bubble tonight. And some people get caught up in, well, you look at John 6, 66. That's when people left the Lord, when he gave them doctrine they couldn't handle. Those numbers were added in to help us with the word of God. The numbers are not inspired. In fact, there are some points, and I, I, number one, I wouldn't have added the chapter and verses myself. I will do, I don't want to do anything to mess with the word of God or the flow of it. I'm grateful someone else did it because they can, they can have their part talked about with God and that they can do that. I would, I wouldn't mess with it. But sometimes I look and I'm like, why did you end the chapter right here? That's a dumb spot to end the chapter. And that's not a bad thing to say because men are the one that did that. And God did not breathe. God did not say, this is how I want. He would have done that in the beginning. But what we believe is that the entire Bible is inspired of God. Every word. Now, you got to be, now you can get carried away as well. Did you know that in Greek and Hebrew, there aren't the pronouns that we have in English? Did you know that? So they did add pronouns in here to help it make sense in places. Some of the articles we use, they don't use, languages are different. One of the things I appreciate about the King James Bible would be that there are places where they added things to make it make sense and they italicized it to tell us that they did that I appreciate that fact because it tells us they added something here so that it would make sense to us that's why some will look at the New American Standard Version and if you were to look online they say it's the most accurate one out there the reason they say that is it, one reason is because they didn't add any of the italicized words there. But you read real close in especially one passage, and you think that Goliath got killed all over again by another guy later on. Where when you add in the stuff to help it make sense, but this is the thing, at least they put in italicized words for us. But sometimes we look at all those things, we believe that God's word it, it extends to all parts. Not the concordance, though. Don't get carried away, okay? And the Holy Bible written on the front, don't get carried away. We're talking about from Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between there. Um, we also believe letter D in inerrant inspiration, which means it's not liable to be proven false or mistaken. Inerrant inspiration means that the Bible was written down correctly in every detail. It's one of the things that makes the Bible so, so interesting, too. Because it tells the truth on everything. So there will be times that you could look at and the devil is really lying to Eve. But God's telling us the truth in what the devil did. God doesn't sugarcoat it or hide it from us what Satan did. 
He gives us the truth. And so, and the Bible is true. For years, people have tried to prove the Bible is wrong in so many different ways. And I could give you example after example, and for sake of time, I'm not going to do that tonight, and I'm almost out of time, and I'm not even halfway through my notes here. And Like I said, I could go on for days about this stuff. But remember, what didn't Christopher Columbus, weren't they worried he was going to fall off the edge of the world? And the book of Isaiah says, it's he that sitteth on the circle of the, of the earth. Whoa. Didn't they just a couple hundred years ago take George Washington and take his blood out of him? Because he had an infection and they thought that would help him live? And the Bible said the life of the flesh is in the blood? They kind of got that wrong not too long ago. The Bible's always correct. Remember a while back, people have always said, they've always wondered about, there's, they wonder about Pontius Pilate. The Bible talks about him, but they're like, there's no proof there was ever anybody. You know, a couple of years ago, they found a coin that has his inscription on it. Once again, the Bible's correct. Just recently they were talking about, I read an article last week, and people questioned things about King Hezekiah in the Bible. And there was an article about this area that they found not too long ago with Hezekiah, and I don't remember all the details because I read through it pretty quick. But just over and over again, the Bible's always right. It is true. It's not mistaken. It is right and it's always right. And when we look at this, you say, well, why is the Bible, why can't it not have mistakes? Because God cannot lie. That's what the Bible teaches. So if it is God's word, which we, now, can men lie? Yes. You and I probably did it today at some point. We can lie, and we lie often. And we like to make ourselves look good as often as we can. God cannot lie. I put verses there for you. Hebrews 6, verse number 18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hopes set before us. Titus 1, verse number 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. John 10, 35, if he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. If the Bible is not God's word, then it could be full of lies. If it is God's word, which we believe it is, we believe that it's inerrant, meaning not liable to be proven false or mistaken. And this is what we do, though. We give our minds the benefit of the doubt. We don't give God and his word the benefit of the doubt. We're going to get to in a few weeks, we're going to look at how the scriptures were chosen. And did you know men actually, the canonization of scripture, men actually helped with that. But God already had it all figured out. God knew before they canonized the 66 books, God already knew that the 66 books should be there. And they didn't miss one. They're all there like they should be. But we believe that it's an error. Next one. Let's get through these tonight. We believe that the Bible is infallible. We believe in infallible inspiration. That means the Bible is without error in its teaching. It is correct. It is true. And uh, you might look, well, you're like, you use the word inerrant and infallible. 
So think about this. The word inerrant means without error in its recording. There wasn't a miscue from God to man. God got it to man like it needed to be. We believe that that's true. Where infallible means that there's no error in its teaching. God's word is just beyond any book ever written because it's God's book. When we look at this, I want to give you quickly tonight, and you got verses there, so I'm just going to get through these last several things tonight. I know we're almost out of time, but you guys sang a lot of songs at the beginning of the service. I don't know what you were doing. Um, number three, I want to give you seven facts. And it, Do I have seven there? Three, six, seven. Yeah, seven facts about the inspired Word of God. I already gave you several of these as we went through, but number one, or letter A, it's infallible. There's no error in it. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 160, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Number two, or letter B, it's invariable, which means it's without change. Now, you could go so far with this. Because you'll have, you'll have those, the, I've, I know people that, um, I preach and use the King James Version. You'll have people that go so far though with the King James Version and say no one can get saved unless they get saved in the King James Bible. And if that were the case, what'd they do before 1611? What did they do? And I guess the Geneva Bible wasn't enough for them. And then Moses couldn't have gotten saved, Right? Or Jesus couldn't have led anybody to the Lord because he didn't have the King James Bible with him. And that's why under the right circumstances, and we look today, we think about, the, let's just talk about the King James real quick for a minute. It was written a long time ago. You cannot use a regular dictionary today and define a lot of those words. You have to use an old dictionary. And the Webster's 1828 is the best one to use to define the King James words. That's the best one to use. Because if you pull out a regular dictionary today, there would be, you would not get that. Um, the text that the King James comes from. I'm, a, I'm just giving you a little insight to something. I'm studying another version of the Bible right now. The MEV, the Modern English Version. Supposedly, and I'm not saying it's good or not, I'm just telling you I'm studying from it right now. Supposedly it comes from the same manuscripts as the King James Version. Just updated today. Say, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm comparing the two together and going through. Am I, a, and this is the thing, am I just a straight King James man or am I a, a received text man? And there's a lot that goes into all those things, but you got to understand, God's word doesn't change. But it has been translated into different languages. If it didn't translate into different languages, you and I would have to learn Greek and Hebrew tonight. And I took classes on both. And I did very bad on both. And I had to take them again. And that was from an unaccredited Bible college. And I, if, whoa, that could have gotten real bad if I went to an accredited one. I would still be taking Greek to this day. I tell you, learning Greek and Hebrew is like learning a completely different language. It's very tough. 
It is a different language. I know I was just seeing if you're paying attention tonight. But God's word doesn't change. Letter C. It's inexorable. It's without yielding. And when I say that, what I mean with that is it, it cannot be broken. God's word, it's like a hammer. God's word, it's true. Think about this letter D, it's invincible. Nothing can stand against the word of God. Nothing. That's why you want to you help this world, you want to help, you need to get them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the word of God is what you need. Isn't it amazing? We talk about the armor of God and it talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And it's, it's just crazy to me that, you know, a while back, I did a class um, and learning how to shoot my gun very well that I have and did some things for it. I said, well, why do you do that? So I know how to use properly the gun that I have and that at a moment's notice, I could use it properly. Most Christians know nothing about this book. And you have the most powerful weapon in all the world at your fingertips every single day. And we fail in our Christian life. We fail over and over again when you have the answer and victory right here because we don't know how to use it. One of the biggest problems today. We have it so accessible, but we don't know how to use it. It's a shame. A couple last things will be done. It's inevitable. It's without failure. Um, it's incomparable. It has no equal. Inevitable, incomparable. And then we think about the fact, and maybe next week I'll go a little deeper into this, but it's invaluable. You can't put a price on the Bible. Say, oh, I can. This one cost me 55 bucks at the store I bought it. That's not what I'm talking about. What the Word of God can do in your life and in my life. And you know what? I don't feel like I can give justice to talk about the invalu how invaluable it is and what it does in our lives. So we're going to stop there. Keep your notes and we'll continue there next week and we'll go further into some thoughts. But what I want you to understand tonight is I do believe the Word of God is inspired. I believe it's inspired tonight because it's preserved. And if someone asks me, what do you say about the Word of God? I say, I believe that the Word of God is the preserved, inspired Word of God. That's the way I word it. And uh, we talked about Revelation and what's revealed to us. Well, we wouldn't, have any, we wouldn't know Revelation if it were not for the inspiration of this book. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the truths of your word.